Good morning. It is Kale and Company Live. A delight to have you along with us on WKXL, AM 1450 in the Concord area, 1039 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming worldwide around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. And we have a very special guest here today on the program, and it is Sarah Delaverne. Did I did I get it right, Sarah? You did. You did. Uh, it's a beautiful name. Thank you. It's actually quite a doozy. Three capital letters and a silent G. Yeah, a sil- <laughs> three capital letters and a silent G. Now, how many how many names can say that, right? Uh, hopefully, not many. <laughs> <laughs> but Sarah Delaverne. Sounds like a, a major motion picture star. You know, I've actually been told that a while, uh, that my name is perfect for being an author. So uh, and, and, I guess I just that, followed my dream. And that too. <laughs> and, and who knows, you might be on the silver screen someday. <laughs> yeah, but uh, at any rate, you are an author, and uh, we, we will certainly uh, get to that. But uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your background, uh, where you're from, and uh, what uh, inspired you to write. Sure. Uh, I'm originally from Connecticut. I went to school here in New Hampshire at Franklin Pierce, where uh, my professor, Donna Decker, actually really inspired me to follow the creative writing path. And then after grad school, I decided to stay in New Hampshire. Um, And then here I am, you know, a couple years later, still writing, still trying, and uh, I've got a book. (laughs) <laughs> you, you have a published book. It, it is here in studio. It uh, you is. can hold it up to camera three so uh, everybody at home can see it. Uh, there it is. And the name of the book is? Daughter of Shattered Skies. It is the first in a planned trilogy. A planned trilogy. Mm-hmm. Are, are you working on the, the second book on, I right am. now? I yeah. am. Son of Shattered Souls is actively being written and should be published, I want to say, mid-next year. Wow. Boy, yeah. This is a very ambitious schedule. Yes, it is. Uh, that you have. So how it's your first published novel. Yes. Uh, you had written one before, but it was not published. No, it was for grad school. It was yeah. kind of like my thesis novel, but it was nice to finally get a completed work under my belt and kind of prove to myself that, yes, I could, and this is possible. So how do you go about as you know an unknown author who has never published a book before or had a book published, how do you go about you know, getting a book published. I'm sure a lot of people would like to know that. Yeah, absolutely. In case they have any thoughts of writing a book themselves. Yeah, definitely. So there's two different avenues that an author can uh, take to get their book published. There is the traditional route, and then there is the independent route, which is what I chose to do. It is a personal decision. Every author's journey is different. Um, There are smaller indie authors like myself. I am a new name. I am new. I am a debut author. So not a lot of people know me, but I am growing every single day. Whereas like a traditional author is normally backed by one of the big five publishing houses. Mm -hmm. You're more common to see their books in like Barnes and Noble and at the airport and things like that. Um, However, an independent author is more of just like your local small business. Um, When you meet an independent author, you're kind of meeting a... um, I want to say like a jack of all trades that really just wanted to be a master of one because mm. we're in charge of everything from the formatting of our book to choosing the cover art to, you know, when we're going to be done editing because the editing process could potentially go on forever. <laughs> yeah, uh, very true. So you have more control of it. Yes, that's from, actually from why I independent chose. standpoint. Yes, yeah. I chose yeah. to do the independent route um, mostly because the 
the traditional public publishing agency, they also control the market right now. They kind of decide what people want to read. Um, if you remember a couple of years ago, I say a couple, but I guess I'm dating myself, uh, when Twilight was really popular. Yeah. Uh, around that time, all of a sudden, all the books that were available for that you know, age group were all vampires in high school. And it was because the market was oversaturated with those books. So they kind of decide who gets to read what. Um, as an independent author, you get to make those decisions yourself, and you're not really adhered to what might be popular in the market. However, if you like Game of Thrones or yeah. Avatar The Last Airbender, uh, I'm all about that epic fantasy. <laughs> ah, I, I, I guess so. And I, just looking at the cover now, I, I just want to see that, that cover. Fo- folks at home can't see it. But, uh, you know, maybe uh, when uh, Kat, your good friend, uh, our, yeah. our producer, Kat Martinez, puts this up on our NH Talk Radio uh, website, yeah. uh, she'll have, have a, a cover uh Oh, definitely. On there. And and this cover is very colorful and very enticing, too, for someone to want to read the book, just, just by the cover alone. So who did that, that cover art? Uh, I actually contracted that artist. Her name is Beth Gilbert. Uh, I believe she lives in Spain. Um, she's just popular on Instagram, and I'm a big fan of her work. I really like her talent. Uh, so I reached out to her. I asked if she would be interested in designing a book cover for me, and she said yes. And I was so excited. So I gave her a rough description of what my characters looked like, and she gave me a version of them. And I said, holy moly, that's amazing. (laughs) I'm glad you said holy moly on the radio. Uh, (laughs) Me too. uh, uh, This is Daughter of Shattered Skies, book one in the Shattered trilogy. And uh, book two is in process, in progress, (laughs) folks, and and, uh, looking for that. But but let's let's talk about the the first one. Uh, First things first here, Sarah. And... uh, so what uh, what was your inspiration behind uh, this this book? Well, my inspiration for it is, funny enough, I, I had a dream. Um, yeah. And it was the weirdest dream I've ever had. I've never had a dream like it since. It was almost like a weird out-of-body experience where I was watching this scene unfold. And when I woke up, I was like, whoa, that was really intense. And then the next day, I had an assignment that I had to start creating for school. And I was like, whoa, I think I'm going to use that scene. And I started writing it. And as I started writing it, I was like, this is a lot bigger than this assignment. I'm going to put a paperclip on this. I'm going to come back to it later. And I'm going to make a world that fits this scene. And I did. And it just kept growing. And it just kept continuing. And before I knew it, I had way too much material to fit in one book. (laughs) And it was all inspired by a dream. By an actual dream. So I guess you had to have to pay attention to those dreams. Sometimes. Sometimes <laughs> is right. So when is, when is this set? Uh, where is it set? Uh, give us a little background on sure. that. Uh, it is actually set in a fantasy world called Eloris. Um, it's a magical world, so there's lots of elemental magic, fire, earth, water. Um, and there's a lot of politics, um, political intrigue with like royalty and things like that. Um, very Game of Thrones where you're hopping mm-hmm. between different areas and different narrators. Um, there's three main narrators. Um, but it takes place, again, in Aloris. It's a fantasy world that's actually divided into day and night, uh, which obviously sets two factions of individuals against each other. And uh, it's... Honestly, it's awesome. I'm sorry. I'm a little nervous, (laughs) so I'm just kind of rambling. It is a dark adult fantasy, a young adult fantasy. Um, 
It's about Princess Asaria Elisatau. Uh, she should be able to control all the elements. Unfortunately, when she tries to access her magic, it's catastrophic. So she's a little afraid to try and tap into what should be a massive ability and power. So she's kind of hidden by her family. And after her family is assassinated, um, she kind of goes into a little bit of hiding. Uh, the story picks up after, I think, like the third chapter. It kind of skips forward into the future where we sort of skip across the timeline. It's the line that divides day and night in the world. And we start figuring out what's actually happening in the present. Uh, more or less, enemies to lovers, uh, friends to lovers, Possibly, I know a lot of people are hoping for Elon and Asaria, but boy, oh boy, my poor Elon fans are going to have it out for them in, uh, in book two. I feel really bad because people keep DMing me and asking if uh, Elon is going gonna, is gonna to have a good, good time in book two. And I keep saying, you're just going to have to wait just and find wait, out. Just wait. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's lots of magic. There's uh, massive gods and a big villain that pops in at the end. Ah, a mm-hmm. big villain. A big villain. Mm, that, uh, at the end of the book. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of a cliffhanger. A little bit, yeah. For, for book two. For book two, yeah. yeah. I would say the first book is definitely more of a, a, a setup for the rest of the series, but it, there's a lot of good stuff that goes on in there, a lot of adventure, a lot of magic, a lot of uh, friendships, found family, and uh, really just a lot of adventure. I really wanted to do that wow. across-the-map adventure, so we do a wow. lot of traveling. Well, it sounds intriguing. No, it really and truly does. How long has it been out? Uh, it's been out since October. October, yeah. Um, so we're coming up on a year. Yeah, we're coming yeah. up on a year. I'm actually planning a special edition for the first uh, the, the one-year anniversary, which is going to include a bonus chapter at the end. Ah. So fans can look forward to that. I'm working on a, a special hardcover edition that's going to be available. And... Uh, Hopefully, I'm going to start teasing a little bit of book too soon. <laughs> ah, all right. Speaking of tease, uh, you, you just did. <laughs> Let's tease a little bit of book two after we come back from this break. Our guest today is Sarah Delaverne. I love that name. It, it flows. <laughs> I still have to practice it. Sarah Delaverne. Is that is that close enough? That's good. That's good. Yeah. How do you how do you say it? I say a Delaverne, but I have family who says Delaverne, so uh, it's really just preference. <laughs> either way, huh? All right. And uh, the name of the book, folks, in case you missed it, is Daughter of Shattered Skies. And we'll talk more about that coming up after the break here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in the Capital Region, 1019 FM in Manchester and beyond, and streaming worldwide around the clock on nhtalkradio.com. Don't go anywhere. We welcome you back to this edition of Kale and Company Live here on WKXL. It is a delight to have you along with us. And our guest in studio today, happy to say, is Sarah Delaverne. And she is the author of a book that's almost been out now for a year called Daughter of Shattered Skies, part of a three book trilogy. Second one is underway, but. You, you, you promised that you have a, a bonus chapter coming out for this one. I do, yes. Uh, so the special edition that I'm going to come out with for the one-year anniversary is going to have a, I'm going to call it a deleted scene 
Um, so when I'm writing, I love those deleted scenes, right? It's yeah, like kind of uh, like an outtake uh, right, almost. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. When I'm writing, sometimes I, I try scenes from different perspectives just to see like what shakes out, like what characters are going to say to me. And, uh, this particular scene, I ended up writing from one character's perspective, but after I released the book, I had an influx of messages asking me, but what happened from the other character's point of view right. during yeah. this scene? Yeah. And I said that I had the draft for it, but I, I, it just didn't work because I needed to show the other side. Um, people really wanted to see that, so I decided I was going to polish up that little rough draft, and I have, uh, I think it's like 15, 16 pages or something like that. So it's wow. not a long chapter, yeah. but it, it is a bonus scene for, for people who are really rooting for that particular uh particular couple ship. <laughs> yeah. you know, it's like some of those scenes if people wait around long enough at the end of a movie. You, know, yes. you might see a scene like that yeah, at, the, at the end of a movie if, if you stick around long enough. Those Easter eggs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right. And uh, so you're working on book number two right now. Now, do you have, uh, because you sort of alluded to this a moment ago, do you have conversations with your characters? I wouldn't say I have conversations yeah. <laughs> with them, but they have conversations with me. Oh, okay. Uh, when okay. I'm, when yeah. I'm writing, they authors like to say their characters tell them what to do. Mine very much are, are very alive on the page. When I start writing, they start doing things that are very much like, like it's a very calyx thing to do. And I wasn't exactly going to have him have that reaction. A very but what? What was the word? His name is calyx. Oh, calyx. Uh, sorry. Okay. He's the, yeah. okay. the male main interest. Oh, okay. Uh uh, yeah, so it's like a very calyx thing to do, and I turned around. I was like, "Well, that's not exactly what I wanted you to do, but I'm gonna have to work with this because that was your reaction." <laughs> wow! So, so you got the reaction of calyx. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, different characters do different things on the page. Yeah. Sometimes it's unexpected for my plot, and I have to kind of work around it. So. <laughs> so, how do you come up with you know the the like you said this takes place uh, in a fantasy world, uh, Aloris. Mm-hmm. So, how how do you come up with these the names of the characters and you know where it's taking place? Uh, that's a good question. Uh, sometimes I kind of just bash on my keyboard and see what comes out. Yeah. Random letters, and yeah. sometimes I take out like a random Y that came out three times. <laughs> um, other times I take. Uh, names and experiences from from real life. So I I do have a corporate white collar job, and I interact with the public a lot. And sometimes I come across a really interesting name. Um, there is a character in here whose name is Jala Coppernol. I'm pretty sure that's a real person, and I'm really sorry. I changed the spelling of the individual's name, and I made it more fantasy. But when I met the individual. All I could think was, oh, my God, you have the perfect fantasy name, and I'm totally going to take this and use it. And really? I did. So, so you used a real name. I did. I uh, used like, a real name. I did fantasy it a little bit. I changed the spelling, so it's not exactly the same. It's definitely a little bit more in tune with my world. Um, but that was a, a real person that I met, and I, so I just couldn't not. you putting this person on the map, right? I, uh, I guess uh, so, uh, as long as if you can figure out the original spelling of their name. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know Stephen King at one time used in the title of his book, uh, Tom Gordon, oh, one yeah. of his books, Tom Gordon, who was yes, a relief did. pitcher for many major league teams, including the Red Sox. That's true. And I must confess I've never read the book, but uh, I know that his name was used. Now, are you a, a Stephen King fan? I wouldn't say I'm a huge fan, but I okay. have read his books. I'm yeah. actually not super into horror okay. books, so right. it's really just not my shtick. I do read them because I read widely. Every author should read widely. 
Um, but when I'm like thinking about what book I want to sit down and read in my free time, it's no, it's, it's not horror. It's not horror. Not no, horror. no, it's probably going to be something uh, along the fantasy lines. <laughs> yeah. So, so who are some of your favorite authors? Oh, I'm a big fan of Sarah J. Moss and Jennifer Armentrout. And actually, I just finished a series by Fonda Lee called Jade City. And that was fabulous. The whole series was just fire from start to end. Amazing. Really? So, yeah. so what did that deal with? Uh, that was, how do I describe this? Magical mafia. Magical mafia. <laughs> magical okay. that sounds, magical that's, mafia that's with intriguing. martial arts. That, oh, wow. <laughs> wow. Magical ma- mafia with martial arts. Yeah, okay. That was a good that one. That sounds intriguing. <laughs> it was a good it, one. It does. As does your book, uh, Daughter of Shattered Skies. Uh, lots of politics in there. Lots yeah. of romance. Political intrigue, yeah, yeah. magic, romance, Ro- yeah. uh, across the map adventure. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a big secret. Uh, ah. Big secret that uh, starts to come out in the, I'm going to call it in the middle of this book, that yeah. really just kind of shakes the world a little bit. Wow. An earth-shaking moment, a secret. Quite literally earth-shaking, yes. actually. Yes. Oh, oh, okay. All right. And does that, uh, you know, that continue in, into uh, book number two? It should, yes, absolutely. Yeah, it There's, should. Uh, book two starts off right where book one ends. Uh, yeah. It kind of starts off with a bang. Yeah. Yeah, we'll so, call it starts off with a bang. Sorry, so, guys. A, a bang, huh? <laughs> yeah, so, my fans are not going to be happy yeah. with me at the beginning of this one. <laughs> oh, they're not, huh? No. No. Well, you know, you, you hear that even about, like, Game of Thrones, right? where the audience isn't always thrilled with, with the writing. What's that uh, trending audio uh, right uh, now? Uh, you're going to uh, suffer, uh, but you're going to be happy about uh, it. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually. Uh, but uh, so, so now when you set out to, to write this book, was it always planned as a trilogy? Or is that something that came to you during the writing of, of the first one? Uh, it was not always planned as a trilogy. I kind of thought it might have been one book at first. Um, but the more I worked on it, the bigger it got and the more characters started coming in and the wider the story got. And it was all things that the story needed. It was very flat before. Um, when I do write, I tend to write, uh, I call it a skeleton draft first. Uh-huh. So uh-huh. I, it's a very simple draft where it's like character A walks onto the page must design this room written in like parentheses or like conversation here about this topic and I'll go back and I'll fill it in later. Um, I probably wrote like a 200 page draft of what is now what is now probably the outline all the way into the middle of chapter or I'm sorry the middle of book three. Um, When I went back to that after spending some time building up the world and the culture and the magic so that it actually made sense when you read it uh, it turned a lot bigger, and I had to cut the story in half. Wow. And wow. book one kind of came out of the first half of that skeleton draft. Book two kind of came out of the second half. And then I took like the last like 30 pages, and I was like, this is going to be what I have for book three when I get there. So it started small and ended a lot bigger than it was. So, so what is your process uh, when, when you write? Do you set aside a certain amount of time every day to do it? When you're inspired to do it, do you have some good days, some bad days? How does it work? <laughs> That's a good question. Actually, the best advice I ever got about writing is that you have to do it every day. And if you think about it mathematically, if you write 250 words a day minimum, which is a small paragraph, maybe some chunky dialogue between some characters – 
if you write 250 words a day, yeah. minimum, mm-hmm. for one year, at the end of that year, you will have a novel-length work. 250 words a day. And it's it's small. Yeah. When I actually sit down and I get going, because I do have my bad days where I struggle to write that 250. Yeah, like writer's block, and I, they say. Oh, yeah. 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 I hit that 250, and I'm like, oh, my God, I'm done for the day. I've been at the keyboard for two hours. I'm done. However, some days I sit down at the keyboard, and I get 2,000, 3,000, 4,000, 5,000 words wow. done in a and couple of really hours. Oh, yeah. yeah. When I know what I'm doing and I, I feel yeah. that, that vibe, man, yeah. I can crank it out. And that's just one day. So think if I have a couple of good days in a row, I can get a good chunk of work done really quickly. Um, not every author works like that. Some authors have a regimented schedule, just like you know they sit at their desk from eight to five, and they, whatever they do during that time is what they accomplish. So, how long was this book in the writing? Oh, I probably spent about three months building the world, three yeah. or four. Um, yeah. I probably spent. Eight months writing the very first draft, maybe another six months to eight months polishing that draft. And then I went to a professional editor to have a, a real editor give it a go because I am a little blind to some of my typos sometimes. Uh, I think that was probably over in all a year, year and a half yeah. process, maybe yeah. two at the tops. Yeah. Um, and then once we were done, we were done. Wow. And you know what? Unfortunately, we're done. We're done. <laughs> We're done. But uh, I, I look forward to reading it. Absolutely. It, it's called Daughter of Shattered Skies. Uh, the author is Sarah Delaverne. Great name. And I'm looking forward to the book, looking forward to Absolutely. the trilogy. And uh, great to have you with us today here it's on Kale and Company Thank Live. You for well, me. Thank you very much. Thanks for coming in <laughs> live in studio to uh, talk about your book. Again, the book. Daughter of Shattered Skies, available on Amazon, I'm guessing. On Amazon. And everywhere, right? Everywhere, yeah. Everywhere. Just just Google it, and uh, you will find it. Sarah Delaverne. Spell your name for the folks so they know. Uh, Sarah, S-A-R-A, last name Delaverne, D-E-L-A, V as in Victor, E-R-G-N-E. <laughs> Three capitals, folks, and a silent G. <laughs> and a silent G. There, there you go. <laughs> it's better to do the name of the book, Daughter Sarah, of Shattered Skies. <laughs> you, you have been a delight. Thanks so much for joining of us course, today. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll be back with more right here. Kale and Company Live, WKXL and NHTalkRadio.com. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company live here on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 on the FM dial in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, and around the clock wherever you are at nhtalkradio.com. Ken Kale here, and we're being joined by retired Army Brigadier General and U.S. Senate candidate Don Bolduck. General Bolduck, how are you this morning? I am great, Ken. How are you? I am uh, doing very well. Thanks for joining us uh, today. And I have to ask you first off how the campaign is going. Well, the campaign's going very well. You know, as you know, we've been doing this for over a year and a half. Yeah. And, you know, we uh, we started out 30 points behind Senator Hassan. We're now tied with her. We edge her out uh, among independents. Uh, and, you know, uh, it couldn't be going better. We elected to do uh, a very different type of campaign, which is bottom-up uh, campaign infrastructure. We don't follow the same 
campaign um, uh, structure that you would see uh, in in other campaigns, uh, traditional campaigns. Bottom up, it's it, it's granite stater centric. We have uh, nearly a thousand volunteers. Uh, we have county chairs. We have area chairs. We're connected uh, all over the state, uh, and as a result, you know we're able to. Uh, talk with and meet with uh, Granite Staters at an unprecedented rate, uh, far more than uh, any of my uh, other opponents. Uh, this is uh, this is you know the way to do it. I believe uh, we're the only candidacy that's able to put together you know a town hall venue, uh, fifty town halls. Uh, they end in uh, August. We just finished our twentieth one, uh, and this is really. Uh, proven to be an effective way of getting Democrats, independents, uh, Republicans uh, into an you know into a room, sitting down and having a great conversation with them. So uh, all is going well. Thank you for asking. Well, uh, and uh, you have been out on the stump now for about uh, a year and a half, and uh, you know things have, have changed uh, over that uh, span of time, obviously. And uh, what have you been hearing uh, most recently from the prospective voters that uh, that you've been meeting out on the campaign trail? What is their biggest concern? Well, their biggest concerns are, you know, I mean, are the following. Of course, number one is the the high inflation, uh, the 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 part of the economy that is causing them uh, to really have to spend uh, more money than they need to on gas, more money they need to on energy. They have to make real decisions about their health care for themselves and for their kids, how they're going to keep their 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 vehicles running. Uh, you know, small businesses uh, are also negatively affected as well. Uh, and in particular, they can't really find people to work. The energy dependence crisis has created huge problems for us. You know, and they're also concerned about, you know, crime. You know, we might not see the high crime uh, in New Hampshire like we, we see in, in other places, but we still have the same type of crime. Uh, but the opioid crisis, the mental health crisis, the illicit trafficking of humans and firearms, uh, the uncertainty of of our country's borders, uh, worst borders in the world. Uh, if you look at uh, one of the latest polls, we have a humanitarian crisis on that border. Uh, you know, we have children dying, we have women dying, we have women being being raped and assaulted, and and uh, you know, this is. I've been on borders like that. I've been on dangerous borders across this world. The only candidate that has. And I can tell you that anything that we've done to help other countries improve their border situation uh, is not, uh, would not be, uh, we would not recommend to them what we're doing here in our own country. I mean, this is just uh, what Americans are thinking about or, and Granite Staters are thinking about. And I got to tell you, Ken, they're worried about the future of their children and grandchildren. And, and, uh, and I joined them in that. Well, I can understand why. I mean, things are escalating uh, at our borders, and uh, in, you know, it, it's a scary situation. I mean, uh, not only are the migrants coming in, uh, they're bringing fentanyl with them, and that is really uh, probably the most dangerous drug right now. Look how many it's killed 
just in in recent years, uh, and and that's that's a very scary proposition. Well, Ken, you you make a great point about the opioid crisis. Two hundred percent worse than it was uh, before COVID here uh, in New Hampshire, uh, and. You know, uh, it's killing kids. You know, you got the uh, the one-and-done pill that's very dangerous. They can order it right on the Internet. They don't know what they're getting. Uh, and, you know, the, the money that's been, uh, you know, thrown at the problem has not, uh, has not created a solution for the problem. We're, we're not focused on prevention. We're not focused on treatment and recovery. Um, and so as a result, we have about a 6% uh, success rate with our opioid crisis programs. Uh, and, you know, this has to be reversed. You just can't throw money at the problem. You have to have a comprehensive plan. And we can see that uh, with every problem, it seems. Uh, Washington, D.C., it's out of control spending, just wants to throw money at everything. Uh, and and that's not a solution. And we need people in there that that are solution driven uh, and are going to make sure that our problems get solved. And really, you you solve problems at the lowest level, the local level, by enabling the local level, keeping the government out of its way and allowing the people there who know where the problems are, know who to contact to solve the problems and enable them to do so and and then require them to show uh, that uh, that they're having success, uh, and if you know if they don't, then we need to make changes. We just can't, you know, continue <clears throat> to invest in failure, which is what we're doing right now. Yeah, no doubt about it. And you know, the the border crisis is there. I mean, you you know it uh, better than most. Uh, you know what what's going on at these borders, and, and the fact of the matter is, you never, you very rarely hear about it in the mainstream media. You hear about it on, like, two networks, Fox News and Newsmax. That's where you hear about it, and the rest of the networks just sort of ignore it. Well, you're absolutely right, and I've been on both those networks talking about this, and and thank you for bringing that up. I mean, I've worked on our U.S. border. I've trained border police during my career. I have worked in the, the Pentagon and worked in the interagency to write um, <clears throat> you know, uh, border policy, to get the best border policy that we can. Unfortunately, politics always plays a large role. We have a policy problem, which exacerbates uh, the situation, but, but more importantly, we have a resource problem. The CBP is not being resourced properly. Uh, we have a vulnerable border because we don't have the assets on the border with the CBP uh, with ICE and the, and the infrastructure to be able to deal with um, with the with the uh, with the legal situations, right? Ideally, the Border Patrol picks them up, processes them, gives them over to ICE. ICE evaluates them and uh, then sends them over to the court, and the court decides whether they stay or go based off of our immigration laws. None of that's happened. They're just given warrants, and then they're relocated inside the United States, and we. We hope that they show up uh, for their, you know, for their for their hearing, but they don't in over 90 percent of the cases. And then we're letting terrorists in and, and unaccompanied minors who are being abused as they come to the border, uh, both young, young boys and, and young women. If they're not stolen and then put in the human trafficking, uh, you know, business, which is which is a, 
a national embarrassment. Uh, this is this is not the way to secure a border, and our northern border is just as vulnerable. I've been to both borders. The difference between me yeah. and other candidates is I don't politicize it, right? Um, I understand the issues. I talk to the right people. I've worked it. I know it. I can go to Washington, D.C. and make a difference. Well, I don't think there's any doubt about that, uh, General Bolduck. And uh, you, you've been to the border, but our president of the United States hasn't been to the border yet. No, that's absolutely right. And, and, and um, his uh, vice president, who's in charge of the border, has been kind of sorta for the border. Yeah, right? k- kind of sorta. That's that's about the, the best way to put it. Yeah, yeah. Can you hold on for a minute, uh, General Bolduck? We have to take a quick break here. And yes, sir. we'd love to get back and uh, talk more with General Brigadier General Don Bolduck, U.S. Senate candidate, and has a lot of interesting things to say. He has it uh, from a perspective that most don't. And uh, General Bolduck has some great insight as to what is going on today at our border and elsewhere, at our borders, I should say, and elsewhere. And we'll uh, be back with General Bolduck. Right after these words, WKXL 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 FM in Manchester, around the clock streaming at nhtalkradio.com. Stay right there. We shall be right back with General Bolduck. Welcome back. It is Kale and Company on WKXL, 1450 AM, 103.9 FM in Concord, 101.9 in Manchester on the FM dial and around the clock at nhtalkradio.com. We're being joined this morning by retired Army Brigadier General Donald Bolduck, candidate for United States Senate. And uh, before the commercial break, we were talking about uh, the issues with our, our borders uh, in, in this country. Why do you think, General Bolduck, the president has not visited any of the border locations uh, in this country? Well, you know, obviously, um, you know, when when a leader doesn't doesn't want to pay attention to something, uh, it's because they are uh, they're not interested in getting involved in fixing it. I mean, I mean, I know this. Right. Uh, the people that work for you as a leader, the people that work for you will pay attention to the things that the boss pays attention to, right? And at this point, um, you know, the the whole the whole agenda here is to weaken our nation and to weaken our nation to the point where we have to fundamentally change our government. We have to fundamentally change the values and principles of this country in which it was founded on. And so, in, you know, in order to do this, you have to, you know, you have to weaken what? Uh, our economy. You have to spend our money carelessly, recklessly, to the point where <clears throat> we're uh, we're bringing we're spending more money than we're bringing in. I mean, two quarters in a row of a downward turn in our in our GDP. Uh, you know, is in normal times, in normal administration, uh, you know, an indicator of of a of a recession, but but not with this one. And so, this is just part of a larger plan and. If he doesn't go down there, uh, then he can continue to say, well, you know, we don't have a problem. I got people working on it. It's good. You know, we're, we're doing the best we can. Uh, and, um, you know, blaming, continue to blame 
uh, the person that came before you, right? Uh, and that's just ineffective leadership. And we see that in this administration. We see that in my U.S. Senate opponent that I'm running against. Uh, and so, I mean, this is why. I mean, it's, it's just a plan to weaken all our institutions. And look, they've done it. Uh, our justice system, our education system, our family system, our economic system, our political system, and now they're going after our military. And they're doing a very good job of, uh, of using uh, political generals and admirals to undermine our military. And if you weaken these institutions and you continue to build a large government and you allow these areas to become problematic, then what's going to happen? The government is going to declare an emergency. They're going to use fear and uncertainty. And then they're going to control people from the top down. And that's exactly the direction uh, that uh, that the progressives, uh, this this new idea of, you know, America uh, is 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 a bad government and other other forms of government are, are better in its place. And it's been 50 to 60 years in the making. And now we are, you know, we're, we're living. Right. Uh, unfortunately, Ken. Or fortunately for us, 88% of Americans believe we're going in the wrong direction. 76% of Granite Staters believe we're going in the wrong direction. Worse, only 39% of Americans are proud to be Americans. This is terrible. That's a shame. Yeah. It, 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 it's a terrible. And, and all our institutions are weak. And that's why I have the American strength agenda to say, listen, we have to fix our education system. We have to fix our public education system. Because for, since 1979, it's been failing us, and it continues to fail us. Our family institutions have been weakened. We need to strengthen our family institutions. Our economic uh, system now is being, uh, is being undermined, and we can see it, uh, and they're using energy to do it. Um, and, and, you know, it is, you know, it's working. Look at our political institution. You know, first of all, people... Uh, Americans don't even trust the political system. They believe they're corrupt. Um, I get into a debate about this with some people uh, about, you know, the corruption in Washington, D.C., and it's clear to see. And it is clear in my mind, uh, you know, I'm the only candidate that's been to all the cities and towns in this state because I've had the luxury of campaigning long enough to be able to do that and talk to people. And they believe that our politicians are corrupt. They're focused on money. They're focused on power. They're not focused on character and integrity and accountability and responsibility and transparency. And many people believe that um, that it's you know lying has has replaced the truth, and not just white lies, but big lies. And and what is this teaching our children? What is this teaching our grandchildren? How are we setting our grandchildren up for success? And that's why. God, family, community, country is my tenants, and it's based off of an America strength agenda, Ken, that I want to bring back the strength of America because I've seen it, I've lived it, I've worked in it at the highest and lowest levels of our government, and I've done it in other countries and been sent to other countries by this nation to do the same thing, only to come back and find that we're not doing it here. And that is a huge problem. 
Well, you are the best person I know to ask this question, and uh, unfortunately, I think I know what the answer is going to be. Uh, what is the status of our military right now? The status of our military right now is it is in decline, and it has been in decline, um, in my opinion, uh, you know, since um, since the end of the, you know, around the Bush administration into the Obama administration, President Trump did his best to bring it back, but unfortunately, he was working inside a system uh, of, uh, you know, Secretary of Defense and, and, and service chiefs in the military-industrial complex that wasn't on his side, right? And so he could never get a true Afghanistan withdrawal plan. He could never get a true Iraq-Syria withdrawal plan. He could never get a good plan for Africa. Um and so, unfortunately, uh, his efforts, he knew what he needed to do. He just didn't have um, the right people in place. And I think we saw that as he was replacing people, right? He would, he would you know, get a sense of that, and then he would replace them. But our military has been in decline, uh, and our strategic Navy isn't what it should be. Neither is our strategic Air Force, our logistics capability uh, for, uh, uh, you know, being able to sustain our military is and our cyber capability, our um, supply chain to be able to, uh, you know, continue to resupply, particularly over long distances. Our military is not what it should be. Our nuclear forces is and our missile defense, our air defense, all these areas are gone. And the military industrial complex is as corrupt as it can be today. And it is being, uh, you know, supported by by generals who retire and go into that and make a tremendous amount of money. Something that I was offered, but I didn't do, right? 250 grand just to start, right? Oh. Um, I came home because I wanted to come home because, uh, you know, I've been a resident of this state my entire life. Uh, and a, re- a registered Republican since I was 18 years old. My family's here. My wife's family's here. We wanted to come back and decided we were going to help veterans and their families, which we've been doing. I've been able to do some teaching. Um, I graduated from the police academy here. You know, we've done a lot of things inside our community, particularly working with uh, other parents and grandparents to change the bad econ- or the, the bad education system that we're seeing here in SAU 16. Uh, you know, all these things, uh, you know, we came back to New Hampshire to help make a difference uh, and, and be part of, you know, be part of the community. And, um, you know, our military is hurting. Our National Guard is hurting. Our reserves are hurting. Our active duty is hurting. This crazy vaccine requirement is hurting. This crazy, uh, you know, uh, CRT stand down for pronoun training, uh, it's all hurting our military. uh, And we need someone in Washington, D.C., you know, that knows this. Listen, a lot of people attribute to me, oh, he's a warmonger and this, that and the other thing. It couldn't be further from the truth. I fought 81 months in combat. I, I lost 72 service members over bad policy and strategy. I know the price. I'm not a warmonger. I'm someone who wants to prevent us from going to wars, and you can only do that if America is strong. You can only do that 
with peace through strength. You can only do that if we're strong at home. We can be strong ab- abroad. But look, China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, you know, the president is going to get embarrassed in Saudi Arabia. The secretary of defense two weeks ago got embarrassed in China. We are weak here. We're going to be weak over there. And we've allowed the Chinese Communist Party to infiltrate our education system, yep. economic system, political system. And now we're, we have political generals and admirals in place, Ken, that are just uh, hurting our nation's ability to fight and win its wars. General Bolduck, always a pleasure to have you with us. We only have about 10 seconds left. Where can people uh, see you soon? Well, uh, I'm all over. Um, and uh, go to my website, www.donbalduck.com. You can sign up uh, to follow me on Facebook, and you'll be able to see everywhere I'm going. And I welcome everybody, and I welcome all the questions. Thank you, General Bolduck. We appreciate it. Thank you, and God bless you, Ken, and have a great day. And my best to all your listeners. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. We'll have you back soon. All right. Thank you. All right. That'll do it for this edition of Kale & Company Live on WKXL. We'll see you tomorrow at 8 o'clock.